0: Welcome to the Encore of episode 158 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this.
1: Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels.
0: A few months ago, I started dreaming up a new offer that I got really excited about. If I followed the course of action I took in my early years of being an entrepreneur, this is what I would have done next. Create the program out of the public eye with no input from likely prospects. Watch hours of YouTube videos to figure out how to best record video content. Pay for a learning management system, for example Thinkific or Teachable, and then spend hours figuring out how to set up a course with a payment option. Price the program by picking a number out of a hat, hastily put together a sales page without any expert advice, then been disappointed by the lack of response, but feel like I've spent way too much money and time to change course now. Sound familiar? I call this expert syndrome because it's likely to happen most frequently to people who know a lot about their topic. They are so certain that they have the perfect solution. They don't see any need to slow down and check in with likely prospects they don't build a runway for their idea to launch because no one knows about it until the day it launches. Fortunately, I've learned from the error of my ways and now always do a bit of research and testing before I launch. This is often through a series of one-on-one calls with likely prospects to better understand how they see the problem and what they are looking for in a solution. I also weave in calls with fellow experts to get a better understanding of the current landscape and how I could add value with my skill and experience. With this new offer, I decided to add a new way of getting this Intel while providing value immediately to likely prospects. That's why I'm facilitating a limited number of pop-up mastermind sessions this fall. The focus is how to successfully launch a new offer, no matter the size of your email list. How? By assessing your network to discover likely prospects and likely referral partners, and then discussing in the mastermind best practices for engaging with those connections. Each two-hour session will have a max of eight participants. These are fellow business owners who will be sharing their questions and their experience. My plan is to run eight of these sessions between mid-September and mid-October. I've already filled 32 of the 64 spots available during the early access registration period. If you are interested, don't delay as the remaining spots will fill up fast. These sessions are not for everyone. To qualify, participants must be an author, academic, speaker, coach, and or consultant who makes consistent business income selling products or services. Your challenge for this week. Do you have a small list and you're looking for outsized results? Wondering how your network could support you? The pop-up mastermind pre-work would help you begin to analyze your network and identify contacts to reach out to about your new offer. In my experience, that always leads to a lot of questions about the next steps, which you can ask during the pop-up mastermind. The cost is $100 for a one-time, two-hour session. If this sounds like you and you'd like to be considered for an upcoming mastermind session, fill out the application at robbysamuels.com forward slash pop-up app. That's robbysamuels.com slash P-O-P-U-P-A-P-P. No later than September 15th. Yes, I'm talking to you. Go ahead, sign up. Now, Before we dive into this week's interview, whether you're thinking about launching an online course, group coaching program, or mastermind, you'll benefit from increasing your confidence and competence online facilitation. To that end, I'm leading a one-time 90-minute online facilitation training on Wednesday, September 22nd. Register at robbysamuels.com forward slash 922 training. That's robbysamuels.com forward slash 922 training. This is the same training I provide for the speakers presenting at the events that I produce. Recently, I was told it was very evident which speakers skipped my training because they were not as polished and professional. There are limited spots available for this live training. Reserve your seat for $100 or pay only $49 if you also sign up for a pop-up mastermind. Again, the link for the pop-up mastermind application is robbysamuels.com forward slash pop-up app. Now, onto this week's Encore interview. Today's guest is a sought-after speaker who has shared the platform with everyone from today's business leaders and broadcast personalities to even a former U.S. president. A prolific author of books on sales, marketing, and influence for years, he was best known for his book, Endless Referrals. That is, until he released The Go-Giver, a business parable he co-authored. It joined the Wall Street Journal and Business Week bestseller list, sold over 850,000 copies, has been translated into 28 languages, and inspired a book series. The most recent parable in the Go-Giver series is The Go-Giver Influencer. The American Management Association named him one of the top 30 leaders in business, and he was named one of the top 200 most influential authors in the world by Rich Topia. Please join me in welcoming Bob Berg. Hey, Robbie! Great to be with you. Bob, thank you so much for joining me. You're from your office. You're down in Florida, in Jupiter, Florida. It's awesome to have you on here. Um, Your book and your name has been brought up a dozen times probably on this show in the last two, three years. And um, and my guests, particularly have gone back just to the the Go-Giver, the book sort of kicked this whole thing off. Um, so I'm thrilled to have you here because I think what, what I believe and what, you know, we've been talking about in the show, you embody in so many ways. And that book, in particular, that parable, shares that story. So the context that I want to talk about this, though, is, is around leadership. Because as you would agree, you know, no, one's, no one succeeds on their own. And so those who have been very successful have done so in a community with the support of others around them. So how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead?
1: Well, I always enjoyed John Maxwell's definition when he said, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Now, to to unpack that, I think we have to first define influence itself, right? And I would define influence on a very basic level as the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action usually within the context of a specific goal now i think that's the definition of network of um, of le- of uh, influence i don't believe that is the essence of influence and this will go back to leadership in a moment the essence of influence really is pull pull as opposed to push uh, as in how far can you push a rope And we know the answer is not very, at least not very fast or very effectively, which is why great influencers and great leaders don't push. Uh, You you rarely hear someone say, wow, that David or that Suzanne, she is so influential or such a great leader. She is just so pushy. Uh, We just love Father, right? No, of course not. They wouldn't say she has a lot of push. They'd say she has a lot of pull because that's what it is. It's an attraction. So, how does a leader? Uh, an influencer, how do they attract? Well, they attract not through placing their interests on themselves, right? They, uh, law number three of the go-giver, the law of influence says your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. This doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean you're a martyr. It doesn't mean you're self-sacrificial, not at all. It simply means that all things being equal, people will do business with and they'll allow themselves to be led or influenced by those people they know, like, and trust. And there's no faster, more powerful, more impactful way to elicit those feelings toward you from others than by what we call moving from an I focus or me focus to an other focus, okay? Looking to make your win all about the other person's win. So leadership indeed is the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, but it's doing so in a way that you tie your goal into theirs, right? So the great leader, the great influencer doesn't just assume that the other person's going to follow them because they want them to follow them, okay? What they're going to do is they're going to ask themselves questions, and this is how you get that sense of pull that attractiveness they ask themselves, so how does what i'm asking this other person to do how does it align with their goals with their wants with their needs with their desires how does what i want this other human being to do how does it align with their values and when we ask ourselves those questions thoughtfully and intelligently uh, genuinely, authentically, again, not as a way to manipulate another person into doing our will, but as a way of building everyone in the process. Now our influence and hence our leadership is sky high. You know, you asked me a question, when did I first know that I had you know kind of that ability? Well, it the it's really when did I realize I didn't have that ability? Because I you know I began in sales uh, and did well and was promoted to sales manager. In this case, it would be sales leader. And I quickly came to see, I was not a leader. I was a producer. I was not a leader. I didn't realize those are two different things. So just as when I first got into sales, as soon as I discovered, I didn't know anything about sales and that I needed to know. And I learned how to sell. Well, I then said, okay, I don't know anything about leadership at all. I need to learn how to lead. And I began to get books. And back then it was tapes and, you know, <laughs> and uh, so forth. And, and and that was really it. So I didn't, I wasn't a leader at first. Uh, yeah. I had to develop into one. So I, I want to
0: just pause here and just think about what you said on uh, the definition. And uh, this rope analogy uh, came up the other day. Actually, Matt Ward used it yeah. um, as well. I think and it's, it's That's such a great a, guy. Such a good example of thinking about um, if, if no one ever says I love that person it's so pushy. I yeah. mean, it's just a good I'll follow them anywhere. Exactly, <laughs> I'll follow them everywhere. They, well, no, I'll, I'll get I'll get shoved in any direction they push. <laughs>
1: <I'm not laughs> right, yeah, exactly.
0: No one does that. I like how you tied leadership to influence, and that it's it's about tying your sort of desire uh, and intentions of where you want to be going to theirs. And I actually, you're making me think of an early time. I was in college and I was running one of those, you know, college groups. And I was trying to get people engaged and I would ask them sort of to figure out like what was I was everyone had a one thing that would motivate them to take action and support the group and not just like hang around. And one of them ended up being the person who helped us plan a huge party that to them was just a party, but really it was a fundraiser. And they picked the DJ and they picked the venue and it was like all the things they were passionate about and knew a lot about. And that got them invested. and then they actually became a much more involved, I guess you would call a productive part of the group because they felt seen and appreciated for that what their piece was it completely changes the dynamic. So um, much better than barking orders at people. So I want to dig into a little bit further into back in the in the day when you were a kid and you were in class, were you like, Raising your hand and volunteering to be part of things. Were you were people seeing leadership potential in you? Were you kind of quiet and reserved? Did you organize your friends in the playground? Like, like who were you when you started out all of this? Because like it's hard to imagine you not being who you are today. So I'm kind of want to get a picture of what you used to be like.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. On the uh, in the playground, on the athletic field, I was much more of a leader than let's say in the in the classroom because I didn't feel as confident in the classroom. I felt more confident, you know, on the playground, um, which didn't mean I didn't have my fears there as well. It just meant that I, I felt more comfortable um, uh, in that scenario. So I think like anything else, that if you have a, um, an inclination to lead, I think you're going to do that where you feel you can add value, even though, of course, at that age you're not thinking, hmm, "Am I adding value to my friend?" No, you're just doing it because it's it's it, it, it's natural in that in that context. Uh, whereas yeah. in the classroom, I was totally disinterested and you know did not respect the process of school, and uh, so no, I I didn't take on anything at that at that. Yeah.
0: Point. So you weren't running for office. You weren't doing those kinds of outwardly leadership roles. Yeah. No. No, not really. As you headed off to school and, 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 uh, later into your early careers, did, did you like, how did you end up being sales leader? Was that something that someone saw, Oh, Hey, Bob would be really good at this. Or were you asking for that kind of role?
1: Uh, well, I, you know, I began as a broadcaster first in, in radio uh, as a sportscaster. And then I was a newscaster on, uh, in a, in a very small market in the Midwestern United States, uh, a very, very small ABC affiliate. And, um, I, I really wasn't very good at it, Robbie, and and I wasn't going to be doing it for a long time, I could tell. So I, I took a job in sales at first just to make some extra money. I, again, I was in a small market. I wasn't making a lot of money. And uh, I, I could tell right away that I liked sales, um, but I, I again, I, I didn't know how to sell. And the training at that company was, we'll say, negligible at best. So I floundered for the first few months until I, I went into a bookstore and I saw a couple of books on selling, which just shocked me. I didn't know that was a thing, you know? I mean, I had just been taught, go in, talk about your product, get them to sign the contract. And that's, it. you know, I mean, Oh, that's off. I think about that. I cringe. But, uh, but once I learned how to do it, you know, not now that was uh, different. Now I had a system, you know, and I, and when I taught think about systems, I, you know, I personally define a system as the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles. So, the key is predictability. If it's been proven that by doing A, you'll get the desired result of B, then you know all you need to do is A, you know, and you're and you're going to eventually get the desired results of B. Uh, so, I found success that way, um, and then eventually I was tapped for a leadership job in sales only because I think um, you know, the, the, the boss at the time figured that, well, if I could sell that well, I could probably lead that well. And and of course he was wrong. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is the saving grace was I, I went out on appointments with the salespeople all the time. So I, I, and I would have them watch me and, or I would watch them. And and because of that, I could be somewhat effective because I was out there in the field doing it, but the actual leadership part, uh, no, I, I was just, Awful, awful.
0: But then you had a new resource, though. You realized that there were books on selling, so then you realized there must be books on leadership, and then you sort of did some self education. Um, and and you know, because you ended up writing endless referrals. That's like your first, you know, runaway hit.
1: Um, what? When was that? That was back in the early to mid nineties. Uh, I had been in speaking for a few years. Uh, And, of course, Endless Referrals was really kind of just a how-to guide to help entrepreneurs and salespeople who, uh, you know, they knew they had a great product or service, they were proud of it, they were proud of the value they could bring others, but they weren't... um, they weren't comfortable in the process of meeting them. And of course, this is what you teach. So you're, you're an expert at that. Now you're teaching lots and lots of people. You're that next generation of the the networking people who are teaching people how to do that and create those wonderful relationships. So we're, you know, we're glad to have people like you out there who are carrying the torch and, 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 and uh, taking that. Um, and so, uh, I, I wrote that first book really just as a positioning tool. I had jo- just joined national speakers association a couple of years previous and a few of the people there said, you know, Berg, if you want to get your business to the next level, you really got to write a book. You're going to get, be more marketable. You're going to get higher fees. You're going to, you know, so forth. And it sounded reasonable to me and it turned out to be a really good, good move. Um, but that first one was simply written for utilitarian purposes. It was as a marketing tool.
0: Yeah. And yet it had an impact and people were like, This it's amazing what common sense when people read it to them, they're like, This is gold. I love it. You know, and you're like, This is just what I know to work to be true. Right, exactly. That that that's all it was. It was the system. It was the system. Right. The predictability. You were like, well, let me just write down what I know. Um, this this is great. And, and I have a feeling that the advice that you wrote uh back in the nineties is still applicable
1: today. You know, it's 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 what you're teaching, it's what uh, you know. Ivan Meisner teaches, and it's what uh, Andrea Nuremberg teaches, and it's it's you know we I think we all if we've if if we've been successful in term sustainably in terms of teaching the networking and relationship building process we're all basically teaching the same principles we have our own spin to it we have our own individual stories and maybe we teach in different ways. But relationship building is relationship building. It's, and every single one of us basically says, focus on bringing value to others.
0: And then people often respond with, but how do I do that? I am a low level employee, right? And, and in some ways, the book, The Go-Giver, is the answer, is, is a great gift for that person because it helps them sort of discover that value. I think people really sell themselves short. And I particularly have had this conversation with people who are looking for a job because they're in a sort of negative space where they're thinking in their head, like, I'm a deficit, I'm in in need. And I'm like, have you ever had to hire? (laughs) Like, if you managed to talk to a thoughtful person at a networking event who then said, oh, I was definitely going to apply. That sounds interesting. And they followed through. Wouldn't that make you, the hiring manager, really happy? Like, you're offering something if you position yourself well and seem like a capable applicant and then follow through. But it's just like that deficit thinking can really get in the way. Oh, when, sure. When did you start thinking like, I have to communicate this in a, in a way that will get people to notice?
1: You know, I think like anything else, you you put a message out there and there's going to be certain people who are going to take to it right away. There's going to be some who are going to resist it regardless. And then there's the majority who they may not just know of that message. So if you can get it somehow to them, if you can get, and that's why I've always done. Whenever I've had books out, I've done lots of interviews. I've written lots of articles. I find, you know, I go out and speak. You find different ways to get it to people, to get it in front of people, and then it's really up to them, as far as whether they're going to make that decision. One of my, you know, the uh, one of the the old time greats in the speaking business. His name was Bill Gove. And he was the co-founder with Cabot Robert of, of National Speakers Association. And, uh, Cabot, uh, uh, Bill was a mentor to many of us. Uh, Bill was from the, you know, that uh, he was a sales champion for NCR national cash register. And it was so long ago that, that when he was selling for them, they actually sold cash registers. Okay. That's, that's how long ago it was. And so, but what Bill said was, you know, you can you put your message out there and you're really looking for the people who are looking to accept it. What he said was, and he said this to all his protégés, although when you talk to Bill, you always felt like you were the only protégé and that's part of his magic. You know, he just made you feel so special and so important. But he said, you're responsible to people, not for people. You're responsible to them to know your stuff, to get in front of them, to give them the opportunity to be able to help them through their fears, to be able to, write, But you're not responsible for their choices. It's ultimately up to them. And as you know, sometimes the timing's not right. Sometimes you plant the seed and then someone else comes along, you know, later. Someone may have read my book years ago and did nothing with it and they read your book and they say, oh, wow, yeah, this is it. And maybe a seed I planted, 15 or 20 years ago reminded that may, what you said maybe reminded them and hit them and their are unconscious and they didn't even, who knows. Right. So we can just do our best. So, you know, the go giver has been out for over 10 years now and I, I still do five or six interviews a week on it. I believe in? And it's, yeah, I continue to put out there. I can't tell you who is, is going to receive it or not.
0: Well, and it's grown now into a series too. And I think yeah. what's interesting is you've thought about other ways to tell the story hoping that one of those messages resonates with a wider audience, right? So yeah. not just that you went out talking with the same book that you've kept. So, so what, what's different? At, uh, let's just take the newest one, the influencer, uh, the go-giver influencer. What, what is it that makes that a different message from the original parable?
1: Sure. Well, John David Mann, my my co-author, who is is really he's the lead writer and storyteller. He's a magn. I'm a how-to guy, as you can probably tell when you're talking to me for three minutes. You know, I'm a how-to guy. I'm step one, step two, step three. John is a magnificent storyteller. So this and these are parables. So three of the four books are parables. So this would never have happened without John's uh, incredible writing. Um, And what we wanted to really do, influence has always been a part of the series. We just in the first book, the The Law of Influence, and then it was in the the book on the the go-giver leader. It was a, a, a story about leadership and influence. Well, this one we wanted to kind of drill down a little more because we really feel that the ability to influence in a way that, you know, you get the results you want when dealing with other people while making that other person feel genuinely good about themselves, about the situation, about you. It's getting the results you want with everyone coming away a winner. And right now we're going through a time, you know, uh, we see this politically all the time. If you've been on Twitter or Facebook and you see that, you know, it used to be people on different sides of the issue or sides of the aisle, you know, it used to be, I'm right, you're wrong. Well, now it's, I'm right, you're evil. And, you know, and that's, you know, what happens, you get people yelling and screaming and swearing and this and that at each other, but no one's mind, or I don't say no one's, that's a, you know, but most minds are not being changed. People aren't influencing other people, okay? So, we, so even though this book wasn't about politics, it was about business, um, we wanted to kind of show if you want to move people to a desired action in a way that benefits everyone involved, you do it through influence you do it through positive persuasion not negative manipulation not force not you know compliance you do it through influence you do it through positive persuasion and you help everyone benefit and that's so we really kind of felt called to write this book
0: so i'm i'm curious if the if you've heard stories of people using your books not for good um people i mean this the the work that you're describing has a has it that like a darker tinge that people can slip into. Um, you know, you keep saying it's not manipulation when done authentically, genuinely. I want, I want to make sure that your needs are being met that kind of way. But it, there, there's also like a, a moment where people lose their way and power is what they're actually hungry oh. for. Yeah. Well, and, uh, do people wake up to the story and suddenly, fall into that camp and have to get pulled back out somehow, like a dark force?
1: Well, it's not something I hear about, but that doesn't mean that doesn't happen. Uh, When you think about it, again, when we talk about influence, when we're saying moving a person to a desired action, well, you can do that for good, you can do that for evil. There have been plenty of evil influencers over the years, right? Um, There are two types of influence, we would say. There's persuasion and there's manipulation the both the persuader the both the the effective persuader and the effective manipulator both understand laws of influence right how to move people they understand human nature they understand what moves people to action so we would say that manipulation and persuasion are cousins now one's the good cousin one's the evil cousin right but they're both cousins so you know i when I used to be asked the question, Bob, you know, what's the difference between persuasion and manipulation? I, I gave answers that I thought were okay, but but then I read a, a really good explanation that showed me that that was much better than mine. And this was from a book written in 1987 by a guy named Paul W. Doctor Paul W. Sweats. The name of the book was The Art of Talking So That People Will Listen. Though it was really much more about listening than it was about talking, as you can imagine. But here's what he said, and I thought this was so brilliant. He said manipulation aims at control, not cooperation. It does not consider the good of the other party. It results in a win-lose situation. The persuader, on the other hand, in direct contrast to the manipulator, um, is always looking to benefit the other person. They treat people respectfully, responsibly. As a result, people act responsibly. They're treated as, 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 as responsible human beings. It comes down really to intent. Uh, but you know, just like gravity, okay. Gravity is a, is a law of nature on, on our earth or in our, you know, gravity works, right? So is gravity good or is gravity bad? Well, it depends. Are you falling? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) When it keeps us from floating aimlessly up into space, gravity is good. When we (laughs) fall off a seven story building, it's bad. Yeah. So influence is really the same thing. Now we want people to use it for good, obviously, but you know, you, you take any books that have principles that are involved, you know, universal laws, principles, you know, you take books like, uh, Dr. Robert Cialdini's brilliant book influence or his newest one presuasion. I mean, to those, those are brilliant, brilliant books. Uh, now could someone use those principles, those laws he talks about? Well, they could sure. I, you know, you hope they don't. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's a guy, Robert Green, who's written a series of books. Uh, One was the 48 Laws of Power. And uh, uh, there's there's a whole bunch of them he's written, and they're wonderful books. But could you take those principles of human nature that he talks about? Sure, you could. So you just, you know, Robbie, you just, you, you hope people don't. And, but, you know,
0: people are people. People are people, and you're you're also hoping that on balance you're encouraging more good in the world, right? Right. Because you right, are it, giving right. tools, and on balance, we are good human beings. Uh, you're giving people tools to now, you know, act out uh, in a way that they maybe would never have thought to have that influence, that impact. I mean, you know, influence and impact are buzzwords that are everyone's This is like more than money. People are talking about influence, right? Right. right you want right. income, have influence and impact, and I and I think people are waking up to the fact that. These are the things they need to do in their life to they have to be offering. They have to be, you know, providing more. I, I was on a podcast uh, for Profit First podcast, and um, yeah Mike Mcallowitz. Yeah, and um, my friend Jeffrey Shaw listened to it and he said, you know ah, Good, you almost down. said he uh, almost said this one phrase. He's like, and if you'd actually said it this way, it's like what I was talking about, but I hadn't actually said it. He said I would have fallen off my chair but it was basically that I believe that your impact on the world is directly related to your willingness to engage your community. And, you know, and he then took that idea, that concept that we talked about, and he completely changed what, what he was doing in his personal life and how mm. he's hosting things and organized people locally. And, and he's a, he's a pretty shy guy and it's not, wasn't in his nature to initially have done that. And I just, i love being able to hear the impact of that yeah. you know, we're doing as content creators What's been most surprising? I guess you've had so much great content out there. Um, you're, you're, you're world renowned for what you do. Has there been something that's even surprised you in the like reciprocity and something that you've received because of all you've put out into the world? What's been like, a, wow, I did not expect that to happen?
1: Uh, there were a couple things. One was when we hear how many schools are used, how many teachers. You know, are are using it with their classroom because they want their kids to kind of have that sort of you know attitude. Uh, when we hear from parents that they they've had the book as a family book, where they've used it as a discussion thing and so forth, uh, and I know John David Mann and I both love when we hear those kind of things. I think what surprised me at first, and it really shouldn't have, um, because it's actually natural for this to happen. But when the book that the early adopters of the book were actually the already successful people, you know, because when we wrote the book, we thought it would be for people who maybe hadn't heard about this kind of way of doing things. But no, that wasn't it. The early ones and all the emails we received was, was, um, you know, uh, that this person was already a leader, that this person was very, and they'd say, this is exactly what I've been telling people is how I did it. And they won't believe me, you know, so they got the book and the books went through organizations and groups and companies and this and that, because, you know, as you know, as a third, it's a third party Validation, right? They don't believe you when you're you. They think the reason you are very wealthy or success some kind of magical thing, and these people wanted them to know. No, no, it really wasn't, and it wasn't through through a focus on myself. It was through helping others, bringing the value. So that was kind of a surprise, Um, and and of course, we love that surprise. Then the next wave of adapters were the people we'd hear from who got the book from a, a mentor, or from a leader, or it went through the company, uh, or someone who, and this was during that economic downturn of 2008, and they, you know, would talk about how, and I remember what there was one in particular, a a, a roofer from uh, Pittsburgh, from the greater Pittsburgh area, who said when the, at the downturn, he, like all his competitors, were pulling back, giving less value to, you know, to try to hook, and he said, no, he read the book, he said, how can I give more value, you know, without it, without it, costing more money, but what are those little extra things I can do? What are those elements of value I can add? And his business went, no pun intended, but, you know, through the roof and in, in, he just was making more money than he ever had before. So that, you know, so those are all the delightful things that we, we just, we hear or read as feedback. And I, I just, you know, I can never get enough of it. I'm always just so, I think, grateful to, to know that the books had that kind of impact.
0: This is my my plug that I do now and again on this show. That anyone listening should remember that if you read something, or you listen to something, or you hear someone speak somewhere, and it has that kind of positive impact in your life, please reach out to them and let them know. Like, even though you're you have over a million books sold, I bet you it's those individual stories that are that you hold on to more than the number of books sold. Am I oh, right?
1: Without question, I'm sure it's the same. Yeah you know, I know you speak at a lot of conferences now and you're an in-demand speaker and I'm sure that you get lots of people who will come up to you after you get off stage and they've read your book already and they tell you, oh, this thing on page, this and that, or this story you told about this and that, you know, I mean, uh, is there anything better, you know, than hearing something like
0: that? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing to me because when it comes to like basics around relationship building and this is, this is, I'd like to hear some like, ideas that you have around this, but I think most people forget that that's a simple thing to do is to reach out and thank someone in a specific way, you know, not just like, you're wonderful, but like, this is the thing that I heard, and this is how it then changed the way I do things. Like, the roofer said more than just that your book was great. That you, if, the, if they had just said your book was great, you wouldn't be telling the story 20 years later.
1: Yeah, well, you know, Lee Cockerell, who was the uh, gen- general manager, you know, he was the whole in charge of all the Disney world properties for a while. And I don't know if you've read any of Lee's books. They're fascinating, but he tells a great story in, in uh, one of his books that he, and he tells a story from stage. He talks about handwritten thank you notes. I'm a huge believer in handwritten thank you notes. And he says that he would often when he'd walk by the different people and he, you know, always have a word of appreciation for them, or he'd make a comment and he would then follow up and send them a handwritten thank you note. And it was always so appreciated. So one time, he uh, had occasion to, and I don't remember why this was, but to go into the home of one of his employees. And when he did, he saw that his thank you note was hanging on a wall framed, his handwritten thank you note. So this person, this employee, his wife, his kids, had a constant reminder of Lee's gratitude and appreciation and you know think about how much that that meant to them
0: wow and it's so simple i mean and that gift and like now it ripple the ripple effects profound even though you mostly don't even know the ripple effect what are some other things that, that if you were helping people think about how to particularly early on in a career or they're making a shift how do they think about nurturing and and creating like a, a strong professional network like what, what would you know, because I, I just say that most people people make that. Like, I'll go to every event. You know, and they exhaust themselves. You know, like I'll hand out business cards to everybody I see. You know, and then they're like, oh, that didn't like, that didn't really work. So, yeah, like, yeah.
1: what does work? How'd that work for you? <laughs> uh, you know, I think when you go to these events, you go to the events and you don't try to meet everyone. Uh, it's just it's not going to be effective and it's not necessary and it puts a lot of pressure on you to you know to do that. And also, don't go to these events trying to be the star. Instead, go to these events making other people the star. So when you first meet someone there, you know, who you, you haven't met before, and you ask this person what they do, and they're going to tell you, and they're probably going to give you some big elevator speech, or they're going to tell you blah, 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 you know, whatever, and listen respectfully. When they ask what you do, I would simply tell them what line of work you're in, okay? You know, I'm I'm a realtor with so-and-so Realty, or I'm a, a, an accountant with the firm so-and-so, so-and-so. And then, because right now they don't care about you and your, what, you know, all that you do. Nothing that you say right there is going to get them to want to do business with you right now, okay? And so what I would do is just answer and then go right back to them and ask questions to them. Yeah, I often say, you know, have you ever been in a conversation with someone, who let you not do 99.9% of the speaking. And, and, you know, we've all been in that one, you know, that ask, well, didn't you kind of come away from that conversation saying to yourself, wow, what a fascinating conversationalist that person is, right? And I think when we do that, it takes the pressure off us, but it puts the focus on them. So, so let's say this person tells you that they're a, uh, you know, they sell copying machines, okay? And so you might say to this person, how did you get started? selling copying machines, or even how did you get started as an office products professional? Who gets asked that question, right? You know, to tell their story. It's a simple question. There's nothing slick or clever about it. How did you get started in your your business? But people love answering that question because you're asking that person to tell their story, okay? And then you listen, and you listen in a way that you're interested because you are interested, and they tell you, and you might follow up with, you know, you know the, the questions such as, what do you enjoy most about it? And now it might, you might frame it like, wow, you must have had some wonderful experiences over the years. What do you enjoy most about what you do? You know, and the, and this person answers and it's a feel good, I call these feel good questions because they, they're simply rapport builders and they make this person feel genuinely good about themselves, right? And, you know, we think we have to immediately find someone's pain. Well, you know, I mean, they don't even know you well enough yet. There's no relationship there, right? And then here's the one key question, Robbie, that, that you know, I believe will really separate a person from everyone else that other persons ever met. And that is to simply say, you know, let's say his name is uh, Gary. You know, Gary, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with is a good prospective client for you? Or, you know, if if you're speaking with Mary, who's a chiropractor, uh, Mary, how can I, if, if this ever comes up, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with is a good prospective patient for you? OK. Uh, or, you know, a good way to set that up is Steve even say, you know, uh, Pat, I love connecting good people with other good people. How can I know if someone I'm speaking with is a good brother? Now, if this person's, by the way, not in sales or in some type of business development situation where that's not going to be a value to them, uh, you might say, uh, you know, Dave or Susan, uh, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with is someone you'd like to meet? or is a good connection for you, right? So we're focusing on this person. When you do that, okay, now this person sees you in an entirely different light. They see you as a person of real potential value as a human being and as a business you know, associate. And again, and this is, of course, only the first part. And what I would suggest people do is get your book and, and learn how to take that to the next level and and to to you know really, really... Cultivate these relationships. But really, that's the start. And yeah. that's how you start building your network. And you send personalized thank you notes to people afterwards. And you, you, know, you say, Hey, Gary, thank you. It was a pleasure meeting you. If I can ever refer business your way, I certainly will. And put it in a number 10 envelope, handwrite it, hand stamp it, and send it out. And you know, and and when there's things that you know, if you learn something about Gary and you know he loves to collect antiques, maybe you see something in the newspaper about an antique show and you coming up and you cut it out, you sell, or you on, You go online and you see a, and you, you put in the search at, you know, 10, uh, how to buy and sell antiques. And there's some great articles on it. So you, you actually um, print it out, put it in a number 10 envelope with your little note card that says, thought you might find this interesting. And of course, when you connect with people on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook, as you will with many of these people, always ask yourself before you tweet or post or hit send, is this something that's going to add value to this person's life? You know, it's all, it's again very basic when you think about it. It's just, I know. You know,
0: this is remarkable. I, I it, it is so remarkable because so much of what you're talking about, like I'm laughing because I actually, I, my my talk is is, is not quite stand up, but I but I think networking can be seen as a very dry topic. So I pepper it with a lot of humor, and I do tell a story about. Um, I actually had this experience. I met somebody when I you know, 15 years ago, and uh, he told me, um, I asked him, well, how do you feel your day? And he started me about his job, and I said, well, you know, it's great if you love your job, but if not, what are you passionate about? And he said, opera, in this, like, breathy kind of way, opera. And I know nothing about opera to this day. And I asked him a bunch of thoughtful follow-up questions, you know, how'd you get started? You know, was your family involved? What should I see? I don't know a lot. And then I said, oh, it was really good talking to you. Wrapped it up, walked away. And he thought I was fascinating. Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <Of course.
0: laughs> and then when I, he was standing with friends later, he made space for me. So my book is titled yeah. Croissants Versus Bagels, uh, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. And the bagels are those tight networking circles that are impossible to break into. And if one person makes space in that circle so others can join, that is the croissant. So this is my like sticky concept. And I think that when you have acted in a, in a sharing and giving way earlier in the event, more croissants happen for Uh, you. Yes. When you are the slap the business card and spray and pray, then people actually close the bagel as you're walking over. And that should be indication that, you know, look at your own behavior earlier. Um, because they're like, oh, yeah, don't do that. Don't talk, don't talk, <laughs> don't talk, don't talk to them. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, so much of this in some ways feels like it's true common sense. And yet it's elusive to most people. Um, and, and yet when you start look, working it, you can see the effort. And, and, you know, you were saying earlier about what do you, what do you enjoy most? I, one of the questions I ask most of my guests is, what do you find most rewarding about the work you do today? Um, because I think it's a really great way to get them to talk about their work without it being their elevator speech. <laughs> I want to know if we're connecting in a year from now, and, and I, I'm hoping we're going to stay in Dr. know we're in an online Facebook community together, so I'm going to yeah. see a lot more of you online. I'll see an influence. But if we're connecting in a year from now, and specifically we are celebrating all of your success in the previous year, what are we going to be celebrating? What is, what is it that you're most looking forward to in the year ahead?
1: Um, well, my business partner, Kathy Tajanell, and I have uh, developed an online uh, course. Uh, actually, at the time of, of, of this um, uh, discussion, we've got one completed, which is in post-production, and we're halfway through <laughs> uh, recording the, the second one. So a year from now, I'm hoping to say, you know, this has really been a good year for releasing this, uh, this video. And in other words, that's our project that's really got our attention right now.
0: That's amazing. And it's, I know how much work it takes, but I know you'll have such a reach, right? It's, it's another way for people to connect with you and learn about all the work that you do, which actually brings me to my final question, Bob. So how do people find you and
1: follow your work? Yeah, probably the best way is, um, is the go giver without the hyphen the dot giver.com.
0: Awesome. And then uh, we'll also have links in our show notes to your LinkedIn, uh, to your Twitter, to uh, so your Amazon books, of which there are more than I can count. <laughs> yeah, you and John have done a great job. So uh, thank, you. thank you just so much for, for joining us for this conversation. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, my pleasure. I, I love the work you're doing. Keep it up, my friend.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Bob. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share it, resonate with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for the encore of episode 158. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to follow for free yourself. That way you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. when We'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they've built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week.